0: Support for off the Path comes from Adelphi University with over 225 undergraduate, graduate and continuing ed programs adelphi.edu/extraordinary
1: One of New England's most beloved poets bought a stone house in Shaftesbury, Vermont as a kind of escape in 1920. This was a few years before he won his first Pulitzer Prize, one of four and this home, now a museum. Was where Robert Frost wrote many of his poems. This is Off the Path. I'm Davis Donovan. This summer I head to Upper New England, where many Northeasterners and others like to spend some downtime. Robert Frost bought this stone house in Vermont while he was an English professor at Amherst College in Massachusetts. Other professors probably didn't like the fact that Frost didn't have a college degree.
0: Frost was an unorthodox teacher and was paid pretty well for perhaps less work than the other people were doing because he was a poet and it was a fraught situation.
1: Frost scholar Phil Holland says the poet didn't get along with everyone at Amherst. He felt alienated from academia.
0: And he pressed the eject button because he was getting too caught up and it was not his vocation to be caught up like that. He wanted to write poems. So here was a, a farm. He called it a strategic retreat, a stronghold even. He used military metaphors almost. And what better one than this stone house?
1: Back then, lots of poets supported themselves with more mainstream careers. T.S. Eliot was a banker. William Carlos Williams, a medical doctor. And Robert Frost, he was a farmer or an attempted farmer. Actually, his doctor suggested it.
0: He was depressed and physically uh, downtrodden. Maybe his lungs were never very good. He was a suffering man, and, well, it was the farming cure that was prescribed to him.
1: The first thing that struck him about the place in Vermont, how good the apples were. It reminded him of his first attempt at farming with his wife and children in New Hampshire.
2: You know, Frost had had wonderful memories of growing fruit and fruit trees uh, at his farm and dairy with his family.
1: Aaron McKinney is the director of the Robert Frost Stone House. The house and grounds are now part of a small museum owned by nearby Bennington College.
2: And so I love the idea of him coming here for apples. This was apple country here. There was an existing old orchard on the property that he fell in love with. And his son, Carol, was very interested in farming and growing apples.
1: The apples even influenced his poetry.
2: Frost would often prune trees as a way to work through ideas. And I love that sort of uh, physical manifestation of of editing, actually, and that he would often, before a lecture, he would go out and uh, prune apple trees.
1: Here's Frost reading from his poem, Apple Picking.
3: My long, two-pointed ladder sticking through a tree toward heaven still. And there's a barrel that I didn't fill beside it, and there may be two or three apples I didn't pick upon some bough. But I am done with apple picking now. Frost claims he picked 10,000 apples in that poem.
1: It's mostly about how tired he is after the job's done. Frost scholar Phil Holland says another poem came about when someone else messed with his trees.
0: He must have gotten a call from the local constable, who was also his property manager, that a couple of boys had cut down one of his spruce trees and dragged it off as a Christmas tree, and he had caught them. It's charming, but Frost treated it as a serious incident, or at least a mock serious one.
1: It inspired him to write To a Young Wretch, in which Frost explores a moral conundrum.
0: Should he blame, should he forgive? How, how to take this uh, affront to his, the integrity of his trees, he was very fond of those trees, and reconcile himself at Christmas to someone else's good from those trees.
1: In the end, all was forgiven.
0: One of the boys is still living right here in Bennington, Vermont, and tells the story at the local uh, watering place.
1: The museum's director, Aaron McKinney, leads me outside to see all that's left of Frost's beloved orchard.
2: This is the last apple tree that is on the Frost House Museum property.
1: Or the remains of it. Not much more than a stump.
2: Um, this came down in a storm years ago. Right now it, it marks the beginning of a poetry trail that we installed a couple years ago on the grounds.
1: It's a path through the woods, marked with quotes from Frost's most woodsy poetry. And at the end, there's a freshly planted orchard.
2: And it has trees that were grafted from original Frost trees. So that tree I was telling you about, the last tree on the museum property, they took cuttings from that tree, grafted them onto um, young apple trees And so those are sort of descendants. So
1: I guess it's true that this is a pretty good place to grow apples.
2: It's a great place to grow apples.
1: (laughs) Frost became restless, but he kept coming back to the stone house and wrote more poems here, including one of his most beloved, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening.
3: Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow.
1: The language stays simple, but an eerie sense of melancholy and enchantment builds. You sense it's about a lot more than snow and trees. And it leads to one of the most famous endings of a poem in American history.
3: The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. What does it mean?
1: Is it about death, life? Why does he repeat that last line?
0: So we have many statements about it, and they don't all agree. Frost scholar Phil Holland. Well, of course, there was public response and curiosity, and he was uh, mostly reticent on that subject. Well, read it for yourself. Isn't it obvious?
1: Maybe not obvious to everyone, but... Frost gave some clues. One was a story he told of an evening in New Hampshire, where he lived at the time, on his way into town with a horse and buggy to buy Christmas presents.
3: My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year.
0: Uh, It began to snow. He dropped the reins of the horse. The horse stopped. Uh, There they are in the middle of the woods, and Frost began to cry. To to ball, that was the word that he used. But the horse said, by shaking the harness bells, let's go.
3: He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind
0: and downy flake. And they did arrive home. No presents, uh, lots of love. That's how Frost told the story.
1: Another thing people wonder about the poem. Frost wrote it in his Vermont stone house on a sunny summer morning, not in New Hampshire in winter. He waited. Why?
0: This is where the mystery really deepens. What was it that led him to write that poem down? He had been up all night writing another poem, and a very different kind of poem. He called it New Hampshire, 400 lines of blank verse. He brought that to a conclusion, he says, around dawn. And this other poem came to him almost as if I'd had a hallucination. He claimed to have gone back inside later and written it down without strain.
1: A quick composition that's been pondered over for more than a century.
0: There's a lot unspoken in the poem. The the tone is is difficult to pin down. Is it lighthearted at first? Or is it uh, some kind of death, wish, meditation, and it can be taken in multiple ways.
1: Nevertheless, the poem has endured. That's evident at the Robert Frost Stone House Museum, where Erin McKinney is director.
2: We have so many people come to the museum, um, all ages, and talk about their experience of this poem. And so we, had, we actually kept a notebook.
1: Last year was the 100th anniversary of Frost's famous poem. The museum invited visitors to write down their thoughts in the notebook. Aaron flips through the pages and finds one visitor's note.
2: Just before I sobered up, my mother quoted, the woods are lovely dark and deep. I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. In my journal on the front page, I have 15 years and miles to go before I sleep.
1: I could write down my own experience with Robert Frost's poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, And it began through my dad's love of the poem.
3: My first experience with Robert Frost was uh, hearing him on the inaugural address of John Kennedy in 1961. That's my dad, Ron Donovan. I feel very calm listening to Frost's reassurances and his poems. But I also feel challenged to address the problems that life has with a stern resignation to... uh, Keep the promises that we all make in life and that we have plenty of time before we sleep.
1: Robert Frost is buried near his stone house in Vermont, but the house was also the site of a family tragedy. Off the Path we will be back after a short break.
2: Hi there, this is Rima Dael, WSHU Station Manager, and welcome to my kitchen. Um, This morning, I'm starting my day off with a croissant, heating it up in the microwave quickly, and then also making myself a cup of coffee. But I just want to take a moment to ask for your help and support to keep the stories that you hear on our air, the news and the music you rely on going. So please make a gift now to support all you hear on WSHU, on our website at WSHU.org. And I hope you have a great day. This is Off the
1: Path from WSHU Public Radio. I'm Davis Donovan. When Robert Frost moved from his stone house and farm in Vermont, his son took on the day-to-day responsibilities.
0: His son, Carol, uh, appears to have suffered from some kind of mental illness from a young age. Depression and a feeling of unworthiness.
1: That's Frost scholar Phil Holland.
0: Robert Frost was a tough act to follow. Carol wanted to follow him, did follow him, writing Poetry. You know, the father has to critique the son's poetry. Well, now there's a difficult situation. Carol did join him here uh, farming at what age 19 or 20.
1: Frost was pleased with Carol's progress as a farmer. He even transferred the house's title to his son after he bought a property nearby.
0: Frost reported, I've never had a farm that went as rip roaring as Carol makes this one go. He was a successful farmer, although Farming was not a successful enterprise economically in those days. So perhaps doomed to failure. And he had a hard time of it and slipped into a depression. And people saw him and tried to help, including his father, but couldn't stop him ultimately from killing himself.
1: Carol died by gunshot in the kitchen of the Stone House. Carol's teenage son, Frost's grandson, found his body.
0: There's a letter about after Carol's death, where Frost claims to have done whatever he could for him, but found that it wasn't enough.
1: Frost wrote, I took the wrong way with him. I tried many ways, and every single one of them was wrong. Something in me is still asking for the chance to try one more. That's where the great pain is located. Depression ran in the Frost family, and Frost suffered other losses. Four of his six children died in his lifetime.
0: Frost weathered many a tragedy, including the death of his wife at age 64. And Frost blamed himself for some of these events and carried quite a burden with him. And you see it in a number of poems that are rather darker than most people who think of Frost the kindly New England poet. uh, Acquainted with the night, for instance. I have
3: been one acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have outwalked the further city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his bait and dropped my eyes unwilling to explain.
1: Robert Frost died in 1963. He's buried in a family plot in Bennington, Vermont at an old church cemetery on a hill overlooking the town crested by the Green Mountains. It's a few miles down the road from the old stone house he owned for years.
0: The the whole family is here. That's right, and more
1: to come. Frost's wife, Eleanor, is buried alongside him. He wrote her epitaph.
0: It's from a poem, The Master Speed, that line together wing to wing and oar to oar. Beautiful example of the togetherness that they shared as a force in the world and as parents and lovers
1: but Robert Frost's grave stands out.
0: The fringe there of laurel leaves, appropriate because they're everlasting, but also crown a poet.
1: And just like his wife, he gave himself a poetic
0: epitaph. He mused, if I should have an epitaph one day for my story, let it be I had a lover's quarrel with the world. He picked quarrels. Of course, he was famously cantankerous. He says, I own, I have written several poems against the world in general. Even though it says I had
1: a lover's quarrel, the word quarrel is there, but so is the word lovers. There was love there as, as well as a bit of quarreling. Right. thought, <laughs> yeah. I know it's almost summer, but our visit was in February. And as we left the cemetery, a magical light snow fittingly began to fall. I leave this part of Upper New England as Off the Path's summer road trip continues. Next time, I go to a mountain peak in Vermont to learn about one man's vision that became the Appalachian Trail. I'm Davis Donovan.